Father, you are so good all the time. And we thank you for demonstrating your kindness to us, your love for us in so many different ways. God, open our eyes to be able to see it over and over again. And we ask that you would open our spiritual eyes to be able to understand your word and to be encouraged by it, to be uh, convicted where we need gentle conviction and to be encouraged where we need encouragement, that it would uh, come to life, uh, that we would know that you are behind every word, that you are in every word, and that it is you and you alone that can change us. So please, Jesus, change us. Make us look more like you trust you more, to love you more, and to love those around us more effectively to your glory. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So you guys have been walking through the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of everything, the Sermon on the Mount. And I get to pick up in uh, the beginning of chapter 6. So what we need to remember is uh, while we're taking weeks and weeks to walk through this uh, sermon, this was one sermon that Jesus preached all in one shot. And so as he's teaching, people are remembering what he was talking about earlier. So hopefully you can remember some nuggets of what has come in the previous weeks as you hear this and you can kind of make some of those connections. It's good for us to do a deep dive. Ooh, I got mysterious in here. It's like... It's fun. Add a little drama to the presentation. That's good. I could probably use the help. Um, so don't, don't hear what he is saying here apart from everything else that he has said and what is to come. So he says, beginning in verse 1, it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So you may be thinking to yourself, I seem to recall in a previous sermon, we talked about how we are the light of the world. And I'm pretty sure Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But right now he just said, don't let people see your good works. It sounds like Jesus is contradicting himself in the same sermon. If that's you, good job. You're paying attention. Well done. Keep it up. So what do we do with something that looks like, on the surface, like Jesus is contradicting himself? Misunderstanding what Jesus is saying here has led to some pretty weird behaviors in the church, if we can be honest. It's made us, many of us, lose the ability to receive a compliment. We feel super awkward when someone says, hey, great job. And we don't know what to say because we're like, well, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to let anybody see that I'm doing a good thing, but they saw it and they've called me out on it. How am I supposed to respond in a non-sinful way? 
So what we do, thank you, Ellen. Yes, Ellen has just provided a service to us all by providing a very helpful phrase that we can all use in response to a genuine compliment. Thank you. Often we find ourselves as adults, like all of a sudden one of us reverts into like a five-year-old and the other one has to go, say thank you. That's how you respond to something like that because we don't, we just, it feels so awkward. Like an, or the other, the other horrible thing we do is we don't give a compliment because we think that's going to cause our brother or sister to stumble, right? So we don't give the compliment because, I mean, after all, we don't want to steal a jewel from their crown, right? Whatever on earth that means. <laughs> what am I talking about? I've said that before. Why? What does that even mean? How does that, it doesn't make, stop saying that. It doesn't make any sense. Just say thank you. And by all means, please compliment people. That's actually a biblical command. When we don't compliment people, we're sinning, right? So encourage one another. It says, as long as it is called today. So is it today? Today? Yes. Then encourage each other. So please, by all means, be be encouraging. And, and, and if it's something that you know, okay, honestly, this didn't have anything to do with me. Like if someone comes up to me after a sermon and says, hey, great job. Like I know I did not do a great job. Or if you feel impacted by it, it's not because I did a great job. That's a really great opportunity to say, praise God, I'm so thankful that you were encouraged by that thing. Let's stop being super weird. Just say, thanks. Praise God, I'm glad that that, that was encouraging you. I'm glad that, that, was, that you found that helpful. That's awesome. When we respond out of the fear of being seen, then aside from misunderstanding and misapplying Jesus' words, we end up making the other person feel super awkward and embarrassed for obeying the Bible and being encouraging. And irony of ironies, when I'm trying super hard to make sure that you know that I'm obeying that command, I'm disobeying the command. Right? Think about that. I want to make super sure that you see how righteous I am when it comes to not practicing my righteousness before others to be seen. That's super weird. But that's how easy it is to fall into that trap. If we just kind of rely, just take a deep breath, relax a little bit, we might be able to see what Jesus is saying, is that the issue is not being seen doing a good deed. It's doing a good deed to be seen. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's warning us about the desire of doing the good thing so that people see how great you are at doing good things. The desire to be seen doing something good, to be acknowledged, to be affirmed as someone who does good things or doesn't do bad things is, is really tempting and really sneaks up on us. I don't stop and, and, and process and think, I am now going to do this thing in order to try to manipulate a response of affirmation out of that person. I just do it. I don't even realize that's what I'm doing. It takes 
And maintaining a correct heart in that is a daily, moment-to-moment exercise of practicing what Paul says in 2 Corinthians when he says, take every thought captive in order to obey Christ. So when that one pops off, I got to go, nope. We're going we're gonna to take that one captive. And we're going to submit that to Christ. Honestly, I have been pretty horrified in this season of transition to see how often this pops up in my own heart. I've been noticing it a lot lately. Because as we settle into a new church, which was really difficult to do, because honestly, nobody stood a chance. Because none of the churches that we're visiting have all of you people in it. And so they're like, done before we even start. We're like, well, this is the worst. (laughs) None of our family is here. Which would be quite a surprise if we walked in and you were there. That would have been also weird, but very encouraging and would have made the decision much easier. So since that's not the case, we, we finally, we settled and we're getting, we're getting plugged in, but, but people, this is the first time in over 20 years that I have been involved in a church where I did not have any official responsibilities. I don't even know how to be that guy anymore. It's really weird. And while... So, confession, I mentioned this to the guys yesterday. One of the things that I have learned about myself in this process is that I really like feeling useful. Like almost to, I mean, not almost, to a point where I sinfully find my identity oftentimes in usefulness. Like being the person who can get the thing done, who's, who's good at a lot of things. I'm not great at anything, but I'm, but I'm good. I'm competent at a lot of random things. And I, and, I, and I like that because I like being able to go, oh, I can help with that. And feeling like... I'm useful, and I'm walking into this joint going, I don't know what to do. Do, do I blow a trumpet and say, I, I can do a bunch of weird random stuff? Is that helpful? And so, well, on a Sunday morning, Haley is just being generally awesome and making like six new friends every single Sunday. And Stacy is networking to find all the families who grow stuff and make things and raise various creatures that either are delicious or produce delicious things <laughs> so that she can develop those relationships and learn from them and figure out how we can, like, they can like, trade goods and whatnot. Joey's just being Joey. And is just standing around being his generally tiny, charming self. And meanwhile, this clown is like stacking chairs going, I wonder if anybody notices how good I am at stacking chairs. <laughs> see this guy? I've only been here a couple weeks. I'm already helping out with chair stacking. Anybody see that? Oh, tech team needs a little bit of help. Anybody notice how I'm coiling up this cord? I'm doing it correctly. Now winding this thing around my arm like I'm some kind of ape. I am perfect concentric circles going with the wind of the wires inside so we don't get any shorts. But you notice how good I am at coiling cables? No? It's just, why bother? So it's mildly hyper- hyperbolic. 
But I'd be lying if I didn't say that there were moments where like I'm helping out and going, it'd be nice to be noticed. And then I've got to take that thought captive and go, why do I care? Am I really putting chairs away so that people will think I'm great at putting chairs away? What on earth? I'm just going to keep putting chairs away because that lightens the load for somebody else. And this pastor of this two-year-old church doesn't have to be burdened with putting chairs away and he can love the people that God brings to his, to his church. And who cares if anybody notices whether or not I'm doing this? Like, I've got to take that thought captive and go, no, no, no. I'm not letting you hijack this ridiculous brain. We're surrendering this to Jesus. That is what Jesus is talking about. And he knows, he knows our tendency. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And so in this sermon, he gives us several examples of what this looks like. Right? He says, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. That's not hyperbolic. They literally blew a trumpet. They'd be like, doo, 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 check out how big my money bag is. Everybody notice? That is how holy I am, and that's why you should listen to me. They would announce it to everyone. And Jesus' point is, look, the issue is not about being seen doing a good deed. The issue is about doing a good deed to be seen. And the way one author put it is, the Pharisee takes his aim at keeping the law rather than becoming the kind of person whose deeds actually just conform to the law. Jesus uses an exaggerated expression here in order to make his point, right? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Is, is it possible to do something with your right hand that your left hand doesn't know anything about? No, my left hand doesn't know what any of the other parts of my body are doing ever. Right? It's not sentient. It doesn't have a brain. It doesn't know what's going on. It's, it just does what I tell it to do. It's never in that kind of communication with the rest of my body. We don't say, like, don't tell my nose. He's going to be super surprised when he sees what we're going to do. That doesn't make any sense. Jesus is intentionally being silly in order to make his point, in order to get their attention. What he's saying is, don't advertise your generosity. That's not holy. That's gross. Rather, be the kind of person for whom radical generosity is so normal, is so habitual, so a part of who you are that it's literally like a pre-conscious response. It's not a big decision for you. You hardly even know that you're doing it. You just do it. That's your natural, your, that's your initial go-to. You'd have to think about it to not be generous. It starts out requiring a lot of thinking, a lot of decision. But then after the habit is formed, then it migrates to the subconscious part of your brain and shifts into autopilot. That's what Jesus is talking about. I've used this illustration before, but for, for me personally, I find it a super helpful reminder. How much... Did you think about everything you were doing when you were learning how to drive? Like right now, when was the last time you thought about what your hands or feet were doing when you were driving? But when you've got that learner's permit in your hand and you're sitting in that seat for the first, second, third, fourth time, good gravy. Hands at 10 and 2. 
Mirror one, mirror two, mirror three, mirror one again. Okay, I think I'm ready. Remove right hand, put car in reverse. Move hand back to two. Mirror one, mirror two, mirror three, mirror one. Okay, okay. I think I got this. Slowly move foot from the brake. Slam on the gas pedal. No, that's wrong. Slam on the brake. <laughs> Deep breath till I calm down. Okay, let's try this again. Release the brake. Okay, let it coast back. This is better, right? This is, this is your first few times behind the wheel. Like you're afraid of every possible thing with a hyper awareness of every single thing that you're doing. And now we just arrive in the Walmart parking lot and have no idea how we got there safely. <laughs> I was thinking about, I don't even remember what I was thinking about, but it wasn't driving. And here I am, I hope everyone on the road is okay. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Like, it's just so subconscious. It's just autopilot. I don't think about any of it. Our giving should be like that. Not because we're following a rule, not so that people will think a certain thing about us, but just because we are abiding so deeply in our Jesus and giving becomes such an ingrained habit to us that we barely even notice it ourselves. Right? When did my right hand even write that check? I don't remember. Just habit. Like giving to the church in the way that we are biblically commanded to do so with such habitual regularity that when things are tight, the amount we give didn't change a dime. Because giving in obedience to God isn't even a consideration anymore. It's just what we do. And that check gets written first and gets brought as an act of worship to the church because it's just what we always do. Why would that change? What external circumstance would possibly change whether or not I decide if I'm going to obey Jesus today or not? Like, we already made that decision and so that's just ingrained. And it's even more awesome when that filters into your whole family and that becomes just part of your family rhythm. And you watch your kids act in generosity toward others in a way that you go, man, that, that's crazy. That is awesome. That is beautiful. I was talking to someone yesterday who was just sharing how blessed and encouraged they felt because as a family, they had decided that they were going to give 10% of their income. They felt like that's what like, is, is biblical and we want to do that and we want to you know, believe we'll... There's blessing in that, and so we want to experience that. And it's become so habitual as a family now that uh, they were describing, like, one of them says, like, all right, it's time to write the check. And the other one says, like, oh, I already gave last week. And the other one says, well, well then why is there still so much money in the account? And the other one says, I have the foggiest idea. It's awesome, right? Praise God. And, and they get to just celebrate God's goodness and his provision because... That's just their rhythm. If their desire was giving so that people would see how great they are at giving, so that they would receive affirmation from other people, they might at some point get a tepid wow from someone, which is not super satisfying. But that's it. And they would likely worry each month if they would have enough to be able to wow somebody next week. But the fact that they're simply doing it in joyful obedience to God and it's just become part of the rhythm of their life means they, and it's just autopilot for their family, that 
they get to focus on the extraordinary delight of just seeing God's generous and inexplicable provision month after month. It's awesome. It's a joy. Since Jesus really wants us to get the point, he moves on to another example. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who sees you in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap empty phrases up as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not pray like them, for your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask Him. So he talks about prayer. It It is weird, church, I don't say this as like a figurative we, like I 100% include myself in this. It is really weird how badly sometimes we want to be acknowledged as righteous. We want people to see us, to view us as righteous, or if not righteous, at least right. And we might look at these guys and go, how ridiculous do these religious people act? Like, Goodness gracious, standing on a street corner so that everybody can see them. And yeah, culturally that would not get the same response or the same respect that it did then. They stood on the street corner. We post ours on the internet. Uh, Our opinions, our thoughts, our righteousness on the digital street corner so that all can see, so that all can perceive us as this or that, as righteous or at least right. The reality is they only broadcast to a few dozen at a time. We broadcasted 2.96 billion people. Which is how many people are on Facebook, fun fact. That's horrifying. The most haunting detail of all of this, in my opinion, is that Jesus says, and they get exactly what they hope for and nothing else. They want a few passers-by to think, wow, look how great they are. That's all they wanted, and that's all they get. The way one author put it is, when we want approval and esteem and do what we do for the sake of it, God courteously stands aside because by our wish, it does not concern him. Like Romans 1, we see God's wrath is giving us exactly what we ask for. All you want is the fleeting and fickle applause of a tiny crowd, a few likes on your social media account. Okay. Enjoy. I hope it's worth it. It's not. It is horrifying to me that I would seek a reward so trivial and worthless and that the worst part is not that God would not give it to me, but that he would. And say, Okay, if that's all you want, 
so much more. He is offering you so much more. So much more than a few cartoon thumbs up. Than a few attaboys. Than a few great jobs. He is offering us infinitely more. What contrast that Jesus is setting up here is being seen doing good reflects Christ and, and makes God the object of worship. Doing good to be seen makes me the object of worship and distorts the gospel in my heart and in the eyes of other people. All right? And I totally understand if your response to that is, Robbie, you're being ridiculous. I don't want anybody to worship me. Oh, we were, we're smart enough to not articulate it that way. But the reality is, worship is simply declaring the worth of something. Worthship, right? It is, this thing is valuable. This thing is worthy. And I'm either highlighting God's worth or my worth. I want you to impressed, be impressed by how worthy God is or I want you to be impressed by how worthy I am. I can't do this them at the same time because they're pointing in opposite directions. You have to take your eyes off one in order to behold the other. And this is the real difference between chapter 5 and chapter 6. This is why what Jesus is saying is not at all contradictory. What he's saying is being seen doing good out of your love and faithfulness to Jesus reflects Jesus to others and brings glory to God, especially when you point everyone to him as the reason. But Doing good in order to be seen is putting all the attention on you, and that ends badly for everyone. It provides me no satisfaction, and it provides them no hope. The issue is not being seen doing a good deed. The issue is doing a good deed in order to be seen. Jesus then turns from our expectations of people and what we get from them and, and then shift it to our expectations from God. And when you pray, what should you expect to get from God? Don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Don't pile up with senseless repetition. Right? He, is, he is calling to mind like mantras and mindless repeating of phrases or prayers, thinking like, well, if I pray this phrase 15 times, then God has to forgive me from that thing or he has to do this thing that I've asked for. Or, or in pagan religions when there's mantras where you just like repeat one word over and over again and think like, if I just say this enough, then the deity has to do this. He's pointing to the Gentiles around them and going, don't, don't do what they're doing. That's not how it works. He is not saying, this doesn't have anything to do with using written prayers or praying the Psalms or things like that. That is, there's huge benefit in praying prayers written by either in Scripture or by saints throughout church history because they're just, they're going to pray things you would never think to pray. It's awesome. That's not what Jesus is talking about. And I can say that with confidence because after saying this, he does what? gives them the Lord's Prayer. He gives them a prayer to say, pray like this. He gives us the most beautifully written prayer that has ever been prayed and encourages them, pray like this. Say this until you mean every word of it. So he's not against that. He is against this idea of God is a formula 
or God, God is like a, a, a vending machine. If I just put in the right change, then it has to pop out the thing that I've asked for. Solomon uh, urges us in Ecclesiastes, he says, God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So we hear this and we hear Jesus saying like, well, you're not going to be heard because of your many words. And so we think like, well, that's why I shouldn't spend a long time praying because otherwise that'll get God upset. No, that's not what it's saying. How do I know that for sure? Again, Jesus, who would wander off and spend hours talking to his father. So again, it's not, not long as bad, short as good. It is, what is your heart behind what you're doing? Why are you praying that? Are you just talking at God or are you actually taking time to listen to see if he has any intention to respond to you right away? It helps if you zoom out a little bit and you actually read the whole sentence that Solomon wrote. What he said is, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. What he is saying is God is not your genie or your butler or subservient to you. Remember that when you're engaging with him. Remember that you are engaging with the all-powerful spirit being that holds every atom of the universe together and at any second could choose to say, we're done, and everything evaporates into nothingness. Right? That's who you're talking to. So bear that in mind. Lastly, he gives us the example here of fasting. Next week, you guys are going to give the Lord's Prayer its due. I think it's next week. Um, don't hold that against me if that doesn't happen next week. But I'm in the very near future. You guys are going to be walking through the Lord's Prayer and process that. So we're going to skip ahead to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others. But, that your father, um, but by your Father who sees you in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And don't do this stuff just so that other people will see you doing this stuff. Right? The way Paul says it, he, he communicates the same message in his letter to the Ephesians. In chapter 6, verse 6, he says, we serve not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, those who choose to serve Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. He says that word eye service is a great word. It literally means eye slaves. He's using kind of a play on words here. You're saying it's a servant, you'd use it for a servant who only serves when his master is looking. Or who only does it in order to be seen by others. So he's a slave who only serves when eyes are on him. And he is a slave to the eyes of others. Such a great word. Such a helpful word. Such a convicting word. Do we only serve in order to be seen the flip side of this is also true. Avoiding doing the wrong thing because you will be concerned 
about what people will think about you or your family. Have you ever had that moment? Where your kids have lost their marbles and you're watching them melt down in front of a crowd of other people and, and you are embarrassed because they just revealed that you don't have the family that has no sinners in it. <laughs> Which you had been working really hard to try to give that vibe. You had been protecting that reputation of we don't sin in this house, we are perfect. And then all of a sudden your kid is freaking out in front of everybody and blows the whole plan. Right? We want validation as good parents. But unfortunately, oftentimes, if we're not careful, we want validation as good parents more than we want to model our kids how to be broken humans that desperately need Jesus. Avoiding sin so that it will not be seen by others and doing good so that we will be seen by others are two sides of the same coin. Both are demonstrating a greater fear of what other people think about us than whether or not we're honoring God. And it reveals my line of thinking is, I can do the sin as long as nobody sees me doing it. And there's no point in doing the good thing if nobody does. And I want to be free of that. That's an indicator when I'm hearing those thoughts stir up in my heart. That's an indicator that I am way more concerned about exalting myself before others than I am exalting God. Another way that this appears in a really sneaky way, because we're good at this. I mean, we're not fumbling through this. We are experts. And one of the ways that we expertly elevate ourselves without overtly elevating ourselves is by speaking critically of others. Because what's implied every time we do that? Regardless of how I justify it or explain it away, it is revealing my slavery to be seen. Because when I am criticizing others who are not there, the only motivation for doing that, the only motivation for criticizing someone else who is not there, for gossiping, is that I would be perceived as someone who is not flawed in the way that that person is. That's why I need to share this with you right now. So you need to know how much I am not like that person. And we sneakily draw attention to ourselves by pointing out what we perceive as the flaws in others. Because I'm not doing that to say, you know why they're the worst? Because they're exactly like me. That's very seldom how that's coming out. They are not worthy of respect. They are not worthy of inclusion. They are not worthy of being followed. And the implication, of course, is, but I obviously am. And our hearts sneak around that and go, obviously, I don't want to exalt myself. That would be prideful and arrogant. So instead, I'll just quietly diminish everyone else. When we gripe about leadership in the church or that person in the church that you just can't stand, you don't even want them sitting in your row. We're not ever saying, you know what bothers me about that person? That they are so much like me and it reminds me 
how desperately I need Jesus and how I fail every single day. They sin in exactly the same way I do. Or maybe it's not in exactly the same way I do, but the source of what they're doing is the exact same thing that's causing me to do these other things. And I just wish that I could spend more time with that brother or sister so that together we could encourage one another to, to be reminded of our sinful rebellion against Christ, but the healing and hope that is found in Him so that we might walk in newness of life together. And I am reminded that I do not deserve respect at all. And I do not deserve to be followed as an example, as exemplified by my current sinful gossip regarding my brother and sister in this moment. Brothers and sisters, don't hear this as me from the stage flinging accusations. Hear this as me confessing to the brothers and sisters whom I love and whom I trust love me, who will save me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I need help. Because my heart is so quick to self-exalt. So quick, it is alarming. Jesus, out of his love for us, is warning us, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. You are corroding your own soul. You are hiding the hope that I am making available to the others around you. Don't, don't do this. And where I want to finish is something that you may or may not have noticed is consistent in each of these things. Three times, Jesus makes a very important statement in these examples. In giving, in prayer, in fasting, in each of these, he ends the statement with what? Did you catch it? Tells him, don't do it this way, do it this way. And what? And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Church, we're not supposed to be afraid of reward. We're supposed to seek reward. Jesus never says seeking reward is wrong. He's actually consistently throughout the Gospels and then the writers of the The epistles or the the letters of the rest of the New Testament pick up on that and are constantly talking about how we are working toward a reward. It is not somehow more righteous or more holy to do it out of painful obligation and duty. That is not more holy. We're supposed to be seeking reward. What Jesus is telling us is you're seeking the wrong one. The one you're seeking is so sad and pitiful. Don't don't seek after what is destined to become a pile of dust and ash and will be forgotten by everyone. The fickle and fleeting approval of the crowd who will be chanting one day, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and like hours later will be chanting, crucify him. Like that's, you want those guys to approve of you? That is not worth it. We absolutely, church, should be seeking reward. We should just be seeking a way better one than we typically are chasing after. We are promised a way better one than we are typically chasing after. Jesus did not go to the cross out of annoyed, obligatory duty. Have you read what it says in Hebrews? We're we're supposed to be looking to Jesus. 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. He did it for the reward, for the joy, for the delight in what it was going to produce. Even as he is weeping in the garden going, God, Father, there has got to be, if there is any other way, can we please do that? But if there isn't, your will be done because it's worth it and it's going to be good. If this is the best way, then it is the best way. And though it would be nice if there were another way, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus tells us his prayer for us that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He promises a way better reward than we are typically chasing after. And sometimes those rewards are displayed in his extraordinary provision right now on this side of eternity. Like when your family gives with sacrificial, radical generosity, and yet your own needs are just constantly, consistently met, and you don't even know how. Or that request that you have been quietly taking to God for days, or weeks, or months, or years, gets answered in a way that is immeasurably more beautiful and extraordinary than you were even asking for. Sometimes that healing comes on this side of eternity. But sometimes we have to wait just a little longer because the best reward is yet to come. When our Jesus returns and renews all things and we get to live by sight, not by faith. We don't need hope anymore because it's here. Hallelujah. Amen. When the, where Paul describes it as the eternal weight of glory so spectacularly and hilariously outweighs all of the suffering or successes of our earthly lives and we just bask in the utterly unfiltered love of the triune God. I will not care about this anymore. When reality comes crashing in in full and all of those who belong to Jesus get to experience how every eye will see clearly, every ear will hear, every limb will be strong. Every heart will be completely healed. And we will enter into the joy of our master. Paul says, I want to press on so that by any means possible, I might gain that reward. May that be true of us, church. Let's follow Paul's lead, who is simply following Jesus' example and work hard so that one day we can look forward to seeing the king of the universe face to face, 
I don't even understand how that works. But I will look in the face of my Jesus so that we might hear, well done, precious daughter. Well done, dear son. Enter into my joy. We've got all eternity to enjoy it together. Thank you, Jesus, that that's even something that we can talk about. That you have made that possible, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but because of your own mercy and grace. Because of your your merit that you have given us. Your merit all sufficient. Now may we seek you with all that we have and all that we are and the reward that you offer us. We may delight in that, that our hearts would turn to that, be fixed on that. That you would stir our trust in you, our affections for you. You are so good. We love you. We need you every day. And it is in your precious and glorious name we pray. Amen.